Hello, and welcome to episode 202 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Beck H., Megan R., Chelsea C., and Elizabeth N. to The Modern Manager community. Membership includes access to our private Slack community where you can ask questions and connect directly with me and other managers, as well as a private podcast feed that includes extended guest interviews and no messages like this one. Membership starts at $5 per month and is a great way to support me and the show, as well as invest in your personal development. Learn more at themodernmanager.com join. Today's guest is Deborah Grayson Regal. Deborah is a keynote speaker, executive coach, and consultant who has taught leadership communications for Wharton Business School, Duke Corporate Education, Columbia Business School's Women in Leadership Program, and the Beijing International MBA Program at Peking University. She is the co-author of Go to Help, 31 Ways to Offer, Ask for, and Accept Help, and Overcoming Overthinking, 36 Ways to Tame Anxiety for Work, School, and Life, both written with her daughter Sophie, who is a junior at Duke. Deborah and I talk about how to navigate the tricky situation of personal life bleeding into work life. We discuss setting boundaries and building relationships, as well as how to support someone who's struggling in their personal life, and what to do when it starts to impact their performance at work. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Deborah. I'm so excited for this conversation, and I'm really glad that we get to hang out together in person, hopefully, fingers crossed, at this conference that's coming up. I am hoping so as well. All right. We're going to talk about a sensitive topic today, one that I personally have experienced as a manager, and it's very tricky. And so I'm really looking forward to learning from you about this. And the the topic is, how do you support a team member who is going through stuff in their personal life and it's entering into the office and you know, you're really trying to be a good manager, but you don't want to cross the boundaries of the personal professional and just like that whole big messy situation. So to start us off, maybe you could start by framing out how do you think about the boundaries between the professional self and the professional workspace and the personal self and bringing the personal into work? It's an interesting question because I think the last two years have thrown those boundaries up into the air and they're falling back together in new and interesting ways. So I think about boundaries as something that is agreed upon by both parties. So one your boundaries with one person that you work with may look very different from the boundaries with somebody else that you work with, but both people have to be comfortable with it and agree to what those boundaries are. And I would say that this is probably one of those topics that requires experimentation, like gentle experimentation, as opposed to following a hard and fast rule about it. You will come to learn what somebody's boundaries are Sometimes when you understep and they feel undercared for, sometimes when you overstep and they feel invaded. Oh, yes. Those, that, and that is a really hard thing to find, that right relationship balance, especially, I think, because we all have our own preferences. I know, like, for myself, I'm 
like an open book. And I'm like, I want all my team members to be my friends and I want them to have them over for dinner and I want to hang out. And I know that for some of my colleagues, that doesn't quite jive for them. And so it's it's hard to figure out that balance because you've got two people who may have different ideas of what feels right for them. Yes. And you have two people with different contexts and cultures and stories and experiences. And you also have two people who are likely making up stories about what things need. Right. So, for example, if I were like, hey, uh, you know, after this conference, do you want to go out to dinner? And you're like, oh, thank you so much for inviting me. But I've got something else going on tonight. I could interpret that as, well, she's got something else going on tonight or she definitely doesn't want to hang out with me. She wants this just to be about the work that we're doing together and not more. Maybe I overstep, right? So you've got a lot of story making that goes on when people don't communicate openly and clearly about anything, really. Oh, my gosh. I hadn't even thought about like the stories that we start telling ourselves about why somebody asked or why they didn't ask or what it means to say yes or to say no. And have you ever made up a happy story about that? I mean, I haven't. Right. I have never told myself a really happy story about why somebody says no or underreaches or something like that. It's always a terrible story. Oh, it's always a terrible story. Although I will say I have started a practice of saying, what is the best possible reason this person could have done this thing that I'm interpreting to be the worst possible thing they could have done? And I'm Absolutely. really trying to, to get better at that. Yeah. So my, my version is the most, uh, most generous interpretation. Yes, yes. Yes. All right. So let's talk about how do you start to create some of those boundaries? And maybe there's a, a story that you could tell us about someone and who experienced this kind of situation of trying to figure out how do I be a friend or a colleague and create a personal relationship with my team members? Yeah, so uh, this is something that I deal with a lot with the leaders who I coach who have made a transition from peer to manager, right? I'm sure this is something that you experience as well. And I'll think about one of the leaders that I coached at a, a large financial services organization who had made the transition from peer to manager and was now, first of all, of course, managing former peers, but was also now managing peers who, in some cases, were older than they were, right? So there was sort of this double whammy of, you know, yesterday I was one of them, today I'm supposed to know more, and I've got people who are older than me, and how are they looking at me? And so our work, her her work really was to reframe the thinking about it. And and so we talked a little bit about her having a direct conversation with her peers, her former peers about what won't change, right? Like, I'm still going to go out to lunch with you. I, I'm still going to ask, do you want me to pick up a salad? Uh, you know, the same way I do now. I'm still happy to, you know, come out to team dinners and, and other things. And here's what will change. I'm not going to be able to gossip about people anymore. Not that that ever, of course, should happen, but we know that it does. I'm not going to be able to talk about our colleagues or our boss in the same way anymore. There may be things that I'm working on that I can't share with you because that's, you know, where we are in the managerial relationship. And I'm going to be holding you accountable for certain results. So having a conversation about what won't change and what will change was a way to sort of hit it, hit it on the head. And I think those kinds of conversations can be really helpful, especially when there's any kind of change in a relationship. 
That makes so much sense to just not try to figure it out on your own or beat around the bush, but just to have a straightforward conversation and to start from a place of, I, there are certain things that I don't want to change either. There are certain things about our relationship that I want to maintain. I want to have a personal relationship with you. And, and even if it's not a changing situation, even if it's you've always been the manager of this team, to just sit down with your, your colleagues and say, I want to have a personal relationship. What does that look like for us, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm open to having lunch. You know, are you are you interested in that? Is that something that you would find enjoyable, or should we, you know, leave our lunch spaces as as our own? Yeah, and I think you also have to add, especially if you're somebody in a position of power, to say, and by the way, any answer is okay. Yes, so important because they're gonna that that power as much as we don't want it to uh, to interfere, almost always does. Yes, it does. And so you need to make it okay. And then you need to really honor it and maybe even revisit it. Like, hey, I know that we talked about six months ago about what our relationship was, you know, looking like where the boundary was between personal and professional. Just want to check in with you. How is that feeling for you? Anything you'd like to adjust? Are you good with how it is? So get feedback on it because you never know what might change. Well, and as you mentioned at the start, right, the pandemic changed a lot, right? Some people suddenly had kids at home and who were running around in the background. And, you know, as someone who doesn't share a whole, I mean, I share a lot about my kids with my colleagues, but I know some of them don't. And so, you know, now it was almost impossible to hide parts of our lives that maybe before we we were more comfortable kind of leaving at home. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, when the personal has seeped in and it's not just a uh, oh, you're showing me a picture of your kids that I wasn't anticipating seeing. But now it's something's going on in your personal life that is impacting either how you show up as a colleague or the quality and the performance of your work. And I got to figure out as your manager, how do I show up and support you and work with you in a way that's going to be supportive, but also not just let you off the hook? Yeah. So you're talking about this really tricky dynamic right now, which is being compassionate while holding people accountable for results. And I think every manager and colleague in the world today is wrestling with that dynamic. We realize that people are still under unprecedented stress and things may have changed, but things aren't necessarily getting better, at least not for everyone. I mean, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, good news is never good news for everyone, right? So back to the office might have been really good news for some people and terrible news for others. Mm. And so to keep in mind how you can be compassionate and flexible where possible and still hold people accountable for results. And part of that may mean renegotiating the results, right? If for the next three months, things are going to be really tricky for you. Can can you offer somebody to have different results than they might have for, th- for the rest of the year? So flexibility is really key. And I would also think about from a manager's perspective, I mean, you know, a lot of people are driven by a core sense of fairness. I want to make sure that everybody has the same thing, which I think is pretty hard to achieve if we are going to be you know, people-centered, even while being results-oriented. So you want to accommodate people based on what they need and worry a little less about everybody getting the same thing. Right. We're talking about what is kind of equitable versus what is equal because different people, right, have different situations. Different people have different situations. Yes. 
Yeah. So I want to dive in to some of these things that you're bringing up. So the first is about flexibility. And Mm -hmm. I was speaking with a client recently about this situation where she's like, I want to be flexible. I want to adjust the goals. And that means that somebody else has to pick up that work because we can't just do less. Like, you know, we can't just like not do the things that we need to do. So she was really struggling with how do I create some flexibility for this one person and say, okay, you need to work fewer hours because you've got to deal with this family situation. Great. I want to be supportive and we can adjust what your work looks like. But then she's got to go to her other colleagues and other team members and say, hey, we now have this handful of work. How are we going to divvy it up? Who's going to pick up the slack? And that is is tough. So any thoughts or, or suggestions on like how do we create flexibility without overpiling ourselves and just taking it all on as the manager or creating kind of an unfair situation to our other colleagues who now have to pick up the slack? Yeah. So first of all, there's no right answer. There are some things to consider. So number one is to bring this to your own manager, right? So if you're operating under the belief that everything that has been assigned to us has to get done at exactly the time we said we would do it, and you are dealing with a staff member or other uh, multiple staff members that have some particular needs right now, you absolutely should bring your boss into that conversation for a number of reasons. Number one, it's important for your boss to know what you are dealing with. Number two, your boss may be able to help you reprioritize. Number three, your boss may be able to provide more even temporary headcount or resources to your team as well. And number four, it's good protection that if something should go wrong, if you should fall short on a goal, your boss is not the last to know, they're the first to know. So that's tip number one is talk to your boss about it. Number two is to think about how we can approach this as a team. So quite often I hear managers who are sort of sitting alone in their office rocking back and forth, trying to figure this out without talking to the team. If you've got the kind of team that feels like they have psychological safety, talk to the team and, and put the problem on the table and invite the team to think about how they might be able as a team to get the work accomplished. So that's a second thought. And the third thing is to rethink how you think about delegation. So most of us think about delegation is I have to give somebody more work than they already are doing. And that feels stressful for you as the delegator. And it also can feel stressful for the person who is being delegated to. However, if you look at delegation as an opportunity for somebody to learn new skills that they need for their career, the opportunity for somebody who hasn't had a challenge in a while to be challenged in a good and meaningful way, or even as an opportunity to give somebody visibility and exposure that they haven't already had, that would be a really good way to think about sharing the workload is by benefiting somebody on the team. Oh, I love I love all these ideas. All right, I want to go back to this idea of having this conversation to begin with so that you're bringing up the idea to a colleague, hey, I've noticed that you're not being yourself. And mm-hmm. and how do you even start to have that conversation so that you're not prying or making some assumptions or putting somebody into a position where they feel like they are are just, you know, all the emotions and the things that happen when our boss says, like, you're not doing a good job. So any any thoughts? 
So one of the pieces of research that really struck me in the last couple of years was an article that was in Harvard Business Review called An Early Warning System for Your Team's Stress Level. And it uses the same acronym that APGAR that we use when our, when our kids were babies, right? So I had two babies at once, um, and both of my kids had an APGAR test at one minute and five minutes after birth. And that APGAR was really to see if they needed early intervention, activity, pulse, grimace, appearance, and respiration. And so there is this updated APGAR for adults to help you recognize when somebody is under stress. And so the APGAR acronym is a little different, but it stands for appearance, performance, growth, affect control, and relationships. So basically what you wanna do is you wanna notice if somebody's appearance has changed and definitely don't say to somebody like, wow, you look like hell, you must be stressed, right? <laughs> let's, let's not say that. But you know, if you notice that somebody's appearance ha has changed, you might ask questions like, hey, you know, how have you been sleeping these days? I don't know about you, but I have not slept a full night in three weeks, right? So you wanna include yourself in the conversation performance, which is about their mental acuity. And you could ask things like, hey, I'm, I'm wondering how you're coping with your workload right now. I know that I'm having trouble getting everything done. Just wanted to check in with you. Growth, which is about their sort of spiritual sense, which doesn't necessarily mean religion, but their sense of purpose. And you might even ask them, you know, what's something new that you're learning these days? And an answer that will clue you in that they might be under stress is, I don't have time to learn anything new. I can barely get through what I'm doing now, which is then an opening to say, what's going on there? Affect control, which is emotional. And that, you know, might you might ask somebody what right now is feeling most stressful? What's the hardest thing, you know, that that's on your plate right now? If you had a magic wand, like what what would you take off your plate? And then finally, relationships, which is about uh, social needs. And this is especially when you're noticing that somebody is is a little bit more withdrawn than, than they usually are or a little bit more irritable. And you might say, you know, who's on your team these days? Who's on your go-to list at work or at home when, when you need some help? And you can absolutely stick with these categories. And you can also say to somebody something like, I want to talk to you about something because I care about you. Are you open to having a conversation with me? And one thing I've heard from a lot of my clients is that it's easier not to single somebody out so some language we've developed is something like this. One commitment I've made this year is to talk to everybody on the team about how they're feeling and how they're coping. When would be a good time for us to have this talk, right? So it's, I'm talking to everybody. I'm not single, singling anybody out. I, and I want to get you on my calendar. Oh, that's so thoughtful, especially because, well, first of all, I love this APGAR concept, right? Early warning signs, let's catch it before it becomes such a big problem that we've kind of lost control of the situation or are, are having to take extreme measures, right? It's so much better to step in early. And sometimes we don't know what people are going through, right? Like it's not always clear that someone is under a ton of stress or having big issues outside that are really ha hanging or weighing on them. So setting this up as, yeah, we're gonna, I'm just going to talk to everybody makes it so much easier to talk to the person for whom it is obvious, but also helps me catch it for someone for whom it's not so obvious. Yes. And I think that's 
really important to keep in mind that your stress may not look like my stress, right? And I think about this in terms, you know, even of my husband, like when I'm stressed, you are likely to see it visibly on me, my, you know, so I'm more likely to emote out. My husband is more likely to emote in. And I know that about him because we've been together for 25 years. But if you're looking at your workplace, you've got to understand how many different things impact what somebody's stress looks like or doesn't look like. And that's why it's important to ask rather than just assume they seem fine. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're having these conversations. And, you know, another question that people always ask is like, what do I do when someone starts to like spill their life story? When they just, they really just either start crying and telling me about their sick mother or their like, you know, financial stresses because they're partner just lost their job and they're just totally unloading. What do you do in that moment? Let them. (laughs) Let them. They They have trusted you enough to confide in you. Let them be empathetic and compassionate, which doesn't mean, which brings us full circle, that there are not boundaries, right? So most people, when somebody starts unloading with them, their head goes to what am I supposed to do, right? What am I supposed to do with this? And I'm going to invite people to shift their mindset from what am I supposed to do to who do I want to be for this person right now, right? And hopefully the answer is I want to be supportive. I want to be helpful. I want to just be here and make it okay that they told me this. So stop worrying about, you know, what am I supposed to do and start thinking about who do I want to be? And hopefully you'll be your very best and favorite self as somebody shows up in that moment. Couple of important things. Number one is to remember that if this is happening in a work environment, you are not the resource. Unless you are a licensed mental health professional or medical professional, it is not your job to get this handled. You are the bridge to other resources, meaning you are there to help them explore who else they can talk to and what else they should be taking advantage of to get this handled. It's not you. Yeah. And I want to underline that because it can feel like I have to help this person. I have to fix them. Or it can create a pattern where this person's now coming to you all the time to unload, and that's not your job. So being clear with yourself that in a moment where someone needs for you to be the listener, you can do that, but it's not your job to do that on a regular basis. It's your job to help this person understand that and find the resource that they need. Yes. And I I think one of the best analogies that I was exposed to was when I was getting certified in mental health first aid. And they talked about, and and of course, not every manager is certified in mental health first aid, but I really like the idea of positioning yourself like a lifeguard. So when you when you think about what a lifeguard does, a lifeguard is constantly scanning for signs of trouble, right? And as a manager, in addition to your day job, you've got to scan your environment for signs of trouble. Is somebody at risk of going under or is somebody at risk of pulling somebody else under? When you do see somebody at risk, your job is to throw out a lifeline, right? To let them know help is here, but you would never let yourself get pulled under and you wouldn't let that person pull anybody else under, right? So you do it in the safest possible way, 
throw something out to them that lets them know we've got something here to make you safe and then bring them in. But then the lifeguard hands them off to the EMT, right? Or the medical professionals. They don't go beyond their scope. They hand them off. And then the analogy that I was just thinking of, as you said, this can't be the person who is constantly getting, you know, cried to at work. A lifeguard is not there to protect people who don't, who refuse to learn how to swim, right? A lifeguard is not your swim instructor. A lifeguard isn't there to rescue you because you're going in the water without knowing how to swim. That's when you turn them over to a swim instructor, (laughs) right? Or a coach or something like that. So I think it's really important to recognize your job as a manager is to look for people at risk, acknowledge the risk, throw them a lifeline, help get them to safety, and then hand them over to available resources. That is such a fantastic analogy and and so so spot on and so memorable. Okay, so now let's talk about the end or kind of the when things have gone on, right? Someone says they need a couple of weeks or a couple of months or they're working through something, you know, they, they're figuring it out. They just need a little bit of time. And now some time has passed and you're like, okay, something's got to change. Like, I can't keep being this flexible. I can't keep making accommodations. I can't keep finding opportunities to to delegate in a way for somebody else to feel growth because it's, you know, at some point you just got to do your job again. One, is there a way to know or kind of look for the, the signals that like it's been long enough and now maybe this job just isn't the right job for you anymore or this context isn't the right work context for you anymore? And then once you figure it out that you got to have a conversation, any thoughts and tips on how to do that? I don't know if there's one size fits all answer for how to know when it's enough. I think it is very workplace dependent, relational dependent, you know, what your business objectives dependent are, what kind of business you're in. So I think it's a conversation that you want to keep having with your manager about how it is impacting you and how it is impacting the team. You also want to have a conversation with the, you know, the person on your team who's needing the flexibility to check in you know, frequently about how things are going. I think what we're talking about here is holding people accountable for results. And if you have, you know, sort of flexed the expectation around what results are required for a short period of time, and they're not even delivering on those, you have a problem, or if they're delivering on those, but it's time to raise the expectations and they can't or won't, right? We, do, we don't know what the interference is, but they can't meet the expectations back up to normal. You can't provide more flexibility. I think that's when you're having a, that's when you need to have a conversation. That makes a lot of sense, right? That we, we have to kind of take it as individuals and set some initial thoughts or boundaries around how much flexibility over what period of time so that people know this is not unending, that this is about creating some space for them to work through whatever is going on, but that ultimately there will be a return to kind of a a normal state. Yes. So one of the things you want to do after this initial conversation, talking about flexibility or updated expectations, is you want to make sure that you have regular check-ins with this person about how it's going what they're needing, what they're experiencing, how it's going, and the time frame here. 
many managers, too many managers that I speak to sort of give somebody flexibility and then cross their fingers, hoping that the, the that it'll all just work out. But if the other person knows that we're going to be checking in at, you know, once a month to talk about how it's going and to plan for a return to work, whatever return to work or regular work means in this context, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. That makes a lot of sense. Any final thoughts on this before we wrap up? I have a little acronym that I use that maybe would be helpful to some of your listeners about how to have these conversations. And my acronym, I love DAPGAR, but I wanted to make up my own. I was feeling very competitive, is CALMER, C-A-L-M-E-R, which is when somebody is talking to you about something stressful at work, C, communicate clearly and compassionately that you are fully present and paying attention. A, ask them to share what they're thinking and feeling and experiencing. L, listen to them without judging them, trying to solve them or fix them or prying or pulling away. M, make it easy for them to share with you by saying, thank you for telling me this or asking how can I best support you. E, explain what resources they have available to them at work, such as an EAP or health insurance coverage for mental health support or whatever it may be, and ask them what resources they have available to them outside of work. And then R, revisit the conversation in a few days or weeks by checking in with them about how they're feeling, what else they might need, and how whatever plan you've put into place is working. Calmer. Fantastic. All right. So, you know, the show is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about a manager that you've worked for and what made this person such a great boss? Yes. So one of the best managers that I ever worked for is named Debbie Rochefeld. This is when I worked for the Jewish Federations of North America, and she was my manager. And she was terrific in so many ways. Let me see if I can highlight three. So one way in which she was really terrific was that she was as transparent as she could possibly be with me about the decisions that she made and the tasks that she was giving me. So she always shared with me her thinking, her process, and her context, which really allowed me to understand what I was doing and what I was working on. So that was number one. Number two was She took the work seriously, but she didn't take herself too seriously. So she was able to bring levity to our conversations and to our work together, which reminded us that, yes, we were doing important work. But at the end of the day, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't brain surgery. And number three is she created enough safety in our relationship that she was probably the first professional colleague that I had where I was able to share that I struggle with obsessive compulsive disorder. And as a result, she, I wanted her to know that when you say, Hey, you know, can we chat? My mind is likely to assume that I've done something terrible. Um, And so by me being able to share that with her safely, she was able to adapt her approach to working with me to help me mitigate my anxiety. Oh my gosh. What a fantastic woman. Incredible. And where can people learn more about you, Deborah, and keep up with your work? Yep. So definitely reach out uh, to me on LinkedIn, uh, Deborah Grayson Regal. You can find me on my website, DebraGraysonRegal.com, D E B O R A H. 
G-R-A-Y-S-O-N-R-I-E-G-E-L.com. And you can find me on YouTube. My kids just told me it's a very big deal. I'm getting my uh, silver play button. I had no idea that that was a big deal. Um, But join the other 100,000 subscribers to my YouTube channel. You can find me by name. Amazing. I didn't even know you had a YouTube channel, so I'm going to go check that out now, too. Awesome. Thank you again so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. My pleasure. Deborah is providing members of the Modern Manager a one-page overview of her Calmer method. This bonus is available to members of the Modern Manager community at the Sprout level or above. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you work for a government or nonprofit agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. All the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit Meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.